heard a story about a middle-aged woman who was standing in her bedroom in front of a full-length mirror looking at herself, and she said to her husband, you know, the doctor says I have a, a fine figure for a woman my age. And her fool of a husband asked, did he mention your rear end? To which she replied, no, your name didn't come up once, not one time. Perspective is very important. We are in the midst of a series we started last week called Joyful, as you can see on the screen. And we are using the book of Philippians. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. We'll be in chapter 1 today. We're using the book of Philippians as kind of our platform as we're walking through and studying the book and learning what it means from the Apostle Paul's perspective to be joyful. And uh, part of the reason why we're using the book of Philippians is because 16 times in that short letter, he mentions joy or rejoicing. 16 times. So he has a lot to say about the subject of joy and rejoicing. And I don't think it's a coincidence that also 16 times Paul mentions a person's mind and their thoughts because the way to joy begins with the way we choose to think. Again, perspective is so important. Author and pastor John Ortberg gives an example of this in one of his books. He was called one time to serve on jury duty, and he showed up on a Monday morning in a big room with a lot of people who were all staring at their phones because no one wants to be there, right? It's, it's jury duty. No one wants to be there until Larry showed up. And Larry began to talk about how thankful he was that, there were, uh, that they were able to be there to serve their community and their neighbors. He talked about the nobility of jury duty and jury service. He talked about how one woman who was 95 years old got on three different buses so that she could come and be there and serve her community. He talked about how it's the foundation of our entire judicial system and how blessed we are to live in a land where you get to stand before your peers and be judged, that there are people all around the world sacrificing and even dying for that privilege that they had that day. Another way to look at jury duty, right? And Ortberg says, I watched people, these are his words, I watched people begin to put down their phones and sit up straight and get excited. In fact, he said, when I stood before the judge and he said, he asked me, could you pronounce someone guilty? I was so excited. I said, I'm a pastor. The Bible says everybody's guilty. I can pronounce you guilty. Surprisingly, he didn't get to serve, but he went on to say that that entire room transfer, transformed from a bunch of self-absorbed, phone-staring draftees into a community of joyful and grateful patriots, because perspective is so important. Nothing kills joy like stinking thinking. And the one thought that might kill joy more than any other is this. I must control the outcome. I must control the outcome. And so many are so frustrated so much of the time because circumstances and people constantly refuse to obey their orders. Things won't work out the way I want, and people just won't act the way I want, and people won't show up when I want, and, and things don't happen in the timing that I want. And, and it can be big things, <coughs> certainly, but it's also amazing how often we, use, we lose joy over the little things. 
because the coach didn't play my child as much as I wanted. And they didn't bring my food to me as fast as I wanted. And that guy on I-94 doesn't drive quite the way I would want him to drive. You see, maturity says that I don't have to let things I cannot control control me. Let me say that again. Maturity says I don't have to let the things that I cannot control control me. And the reason why, one of the reasons why we have the book of Philippians is because Paul could not control the outcome. Things didn't go the way that he wanted them to go. He didn't want to be arrested. He didn't want to be (coughs) falsely accused. He didn't want to be sent in chains to Rome. He didn't want to be manipulated as a political pawn. And he certainly didn't want to be waiting for who knows how long for a court date so that he could get out of prison under arrest. He was dealing with unjust arrest. He was dealing with unfair criticism, an uncertain future, and he had no control over the outcome. But outcomes had no control over his joy. So let's listen to what Paul has to say. Philippians chapter 1, starting in verse 12. Paul writes, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served (coughs) to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Now, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So Paul wasn't in in control of the outcome, but he said, in spite of that, I will rejoice. In fact, I will continue rejoicing. To rejoice, because here's the perspective Paul had. I can't control the outcome, but I can choose my outlook. I can't control what's going to happen, but I can choose how I respond to what's happened and to how I look out on what has happened. You see, there's a certain kind of reflection you can have over your life that is guaranteed to produce resentment and discouragement. But there's also a way that you can reflect on your life that can produce and result in rejoicing. And Paul intentionally chose the latter. Instead of sitting around feeling sorry for himself as a man in prison, he chose to look at himself as a man in Christ. And consequently, his consequences and his circumstances never transcended his identity and his mission. You see, the story that you're telling right now about your life depends on your perspective. 
It's true of all of us. The story that you're telling with your life, you can say whatever you want to with your lips, but the story you're telling with your life depends on your perspective. Do you see joy as an event, as an outcome that you're waiting on so that you can finally get happy? Or do you see joy as a decision? And Paul didn't have to wait on the outcome to determine his outlook. You could chain his body, but you could not chain his mind. And so rather than beginning by telling the Philippians how he's doing, he starts by reporting on how the mission is doing. Listen again to what he says in verse 12. Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Because for Paul, he understood, and here's the first point, that the gospel cannot be chained. The gospel cannot be chained. And so he doesn't think about what's being done to him. He thinks about what's being done through him. I want you to know that everything that's happened to me has served to advance and spread the gospel. That word advance is a military term, a military uh, verbiage. In those days, the army had to actually go and travel and, and fight the battle and show up to do the fighting. And so some people would go in front of the army, go ahead of the army to make a way, to fix the road, to clear the road, to clear the brush, whatever it was that was an impediment to the army going through that area, people would go and make sure that the army could advance through that area. And Paul uses that word and says, I want you to understand that what's happening to me and what has happened to me has actually improved the access that people have to the story of Jesus. And so I'm going to rejoice in that. It stinks what I'm going through, but I'm going to rejoice in the outcome that is coming out of what I'm going through. He says, I'm going to rejoice that because of my imprisonment, Jesus' talk is happening all over the city. Because everybody knows the real reason that I am in chains is because I follow Jesus. Then he says, and besides that, I'm going to rejoice that every day I have a chance to witness to the most elite regiment in the Roman army. They were called the Praetorian Guard. They protected Caesar. They guarded his prisoners. And that's why later at the end of the book, Paul says, greetings to all the brethren from Caesar's household. Well, how did he get brethren in Caesar's household? I'll tell you how. They spent time with Paul. They spent a couple years chained to Paul. And if you're chained to Paul, who's chained to who, really? I imagine a soldier showing up and saying to Paul, I'm here to guard you for Caesar. And Paul kind of chuckling and smiling and saying, well, I'm actually here to serve you and, 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 and point you and protect you for Jesus Christ. He says, I rejoice in all the Jesus talk, and I rejoice that I get to witness to all of these guards and all of these people because of what is happening to me. But most of all, he says, I rejoice that my being in prison has caused more people to step up and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, now, some are doing it with, with good attitudes, and I'm thankful for that. Some, however, are doing it for bad motives and with bad attitudes. But I'm also thankful for that which is kind of hard in some ways to wrap our minds around. Although I do find it funny, if we really are honest, that sometimes we enjoy somebody else being in a bad place, at least certain people maybe in our lives. And when Paul was in prison, some people were using that as a means to promote themselves. And Paul says, they're, listen, they're preaching a good gospel. If they weren't preaching a good gospel, I'd be getting on to them. They're preaching a good gospel, albeit for 
for bad reasons, but they're still preaching Jesus. And I'm excited about that. I don't know if I could say that if I'm in Paul's position, but he's able to say that because his joy transcends all of that stuff. By the way, one thing that should excite you when you think about that idea, the gospel is so powerful that it can't even be chained by the mixed motives of the people who preach it. And that ought to be something that excites us and encourages us and something that we're thankful for. Because let me tell you, you have never heard anyone preach the gospel from, from completely pure motives. Including, but not limited to, the person that you're looking at preach it right now. I'm just being honest. No one has ever preached and shared just from completely pure motives. Because we're all screwed up. We're all messed up. And yet the gospel is so powerful that you can't even chain it with the flawed people that preach it. So Paul says, I rejoice in this because the most important thing is that Christ is preached. And he's not putting on some fake smiley face and pretending that good is bad and bad is good. What he's doing is rejoicing in the confidence that he serves a God that can bring good out of even what is bad. And so instead of thinking, why has this happened to me? He chooses to think, how can I leverage what has happened to me so that more people can hear about Jesus? It's a new way of thinking, but it gave him joy. But that kind of rejoicing also needs constant filling. And so look again what he says next, verses 18 and 19. He says, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. You see, not only can you not chain the gospel, but you also cannot chain God's provision. Because there is no chain that can fetter the prayers of God's people. And there is no place that you can lock out the ministry of God's Spirit. Jesus doesn't just rule over our chains. Jesus sustains us in the midst of our chains. Jesus, no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, can always bring help. In fact, in the original text, there's just one definite article that really ties those two things together. They're not separate ideas. They're really very much tied together. And so what Paul is saying is that one of the ways, one of the chief ways that we experience God's provision through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is through the prayers of our brothers and sisters in Christ. That's, that's one of the primary ways that you and I experience God's provision in our lives, that the filling of the Spirit is often connected to the kneeling of the saints. You've probably never heard of a woman by the name of Irina Ratushinskaya, and I dare you to try and spell that. But if you were a believer in Russia, you probably would have heard of her because her writings and poetry have blessed the church all across that nation. You see, she grew up in the Soviet Union under communist, communist leadership where it was forbidden for people to be public as a Christian. But she grew in her faith in Christ and began to write and as a result of that began to be exposed. And at the age of 28, she was found out and she was sentenced to seven years of hard labor in a brutal prison camp, practically starving, and she would have months of solitary confinement, and she would write poetry, only she didn't have anything to write on, and so she would just write it in her head. And here's what she wrote in a frigid cell in solitary. She wrote this in her mind. Believe me, it was often thus, 
in solitary cells on winter nights, a sudden sense of joy and warmth, a resounding note of love, and then unsleeping I would know a huddle by an icy wall. Someone is thinking of me now, petitioning the Lord for me. You ever felt that? I know I have. Maybe you're in a dark place, a struggling place, and you just feel this sense of strength and warmth come over you as if at that very moment someone is lifting you up before the throne of heaven. You cannot chain or fetter the prayers of God's people, and you cannot lock out the ministry of God's Spirit. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and his companions basically get run out of town, which happened to them a lot. Uh, And it says in verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. You see, joy and the Holy Spirit are buddies. They're, they're, They're great friends. They always travel together. Wherever you find one, you're gonna find the other. And when the Holy Spirit descends, joy happens. And you can't chain that. One more thing Paul also realized, and that is that you cannot chain courage. Courage cannot be chained. If I were to ask you what's the opposite of joy, many of you would probably think, well, duh, it's sadness, right? That sadness is the opposite of joy. But no, actually, sadness is not the opposite of joy because you can grieve and have joy at the same time. In fact, I'm guessing that most, if not all of us, have done that at some point in our lives. For example, you've been to the funeral of a godly saint, a godly man or woman, and while we grieve at their loss, we also rejoice that they've received their reward. You've been in the ER when a friend was in a car accident or had a heart attack or some medical emergency, and, 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 and while you grieve their condition, you get the good news that they're going to make it. You grieve and you rejoice. You've sent a son or daughter off to college or to join the military, and as they drive away, you grieve because you're sad. It's your little baby girl. It's your little baby boy. But at the same time, your heart is flooded with pride. And you rejoice at what they're doing in this next chapter of their life. You can grieve and have joy at the same time. The opposite of joy is not sadness. The opposite of joy is fear. Fear. Because joy is absent wherever worry and anxiety are present. Notice Paul says, I am certain of my deliverance. But notice what he does not say. He does not say, I am certain of what my deliverance looks like. Listen to what he says in verse 20. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but that I will have sufficient courage so that now as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. You see, Paul is saying, you cannot chain my courage because you cannot chain my mission. My mission is to show the greatness of, of Jesus Christ, and you can let me go, or you can kill me. Either way, <clears throat> my life is going to be a theater for the display of the greatness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to exalt Jesus Christ if I live. I'm going to exalt Jesus Christ if I die. Vindication, execution, anywhere in between, 
Either way, it's a win-win from Paul's perspective. You could not chain his courage because you couldn't chain what his life was all about. And so he says in verse 21, here's what it's all about for me. For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And let me tell you why most people aren't very joyful. Because they live by a different motto. To live is me. And to die is tragic. Several years ago, there was a strange phenomenon out in the Phoenix, Arizona area. They had large numbers of these brown pelicans that were just showing up dead all along the roadside. They had flown from California, and when they had gotten to Arizona, you know what? You know how when it's hot outside and you're driving down a road and you can see for a long, long ways, and it looks like there's water on the road or some you know wet substance on the road? We call it a mirage. It's just that the air temperature is different on the air and the road, and it looks like there's water. The birds don't know this. They think it's something refreshing. They think it's something cool, maybe even some food. And so they fly in, and reality hits them hard. And if you're spending the best of your life, your time, your energy, pursuing something that is ultimately a mirage, reality will hit you hard. And it will suck the joy right out of your life. You see, every day we're filling in that sentence with our own answers. To live is blank. And to die is blank. Every day you're filling in those blanks, consciously or unconsciously. Every day you are filling in those two blanks. And whatever you fill in ultimately decides if you have a joy that can be chained or not. To live is to make money. And to die is to leave it all to somebody else. To live is to be well known. And to die is to be quickly forgotten. To live is to have a lot of influence. And to die is to have none. The list goes on and on. My question to you is, are you putting in those blanks something that cannot chain your joy even if you die? And if you're not, you might need to change the way you're thinking. Because unchained joy is rooted in the one thing the future can only enhance. Paul would say, I don't know what tomorrow brings. But I know how this ends. I know how this ends. To live is Christ and to die is gain. How do you chain a man like that? A man who has a hope like that. And if Paul were praying over us right now, I think he'd pray something that he prayed over the church in Rome. In Romans chapter 15, verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, joy is the outlook 
when you trust that Jesus decides the outcome. That's the outlook. Joy is the outlook when you truly trust that it is Jesus who's controlling the outcome. Now, we go through a lot in life that we would never choose. But nothing we go through can keep us from choosing joy. Let me say that again because we need to hear that. Because some of you are going through things right now or have been through things in your past, maybe even the recent past, that you would never choose. But nothing we go through can keep us from choosing joy. Because we've chosen Jesus, or maybe better, Jesus has chosen us. And we believe that ultimately Jesus is Lord of the outcome. You see, we have a choice. We can say, why has this happened to me? And listen, God doesn't, doesn't dissuade us necessarily from asking that question. He doesn't belittle us for asking that question. But at some point, we've got to move beyond that question. And we have a choice whether we stay in that question, why has this happened to me? Or whether we move on to a different question. How can I use what's happened to me to display the greatness of Jesus? And listen, it won't make life easy, but it will give you joy. Because here's the thing. Jesus is going to be exalted, whether you do it or not. But there's nothing that can stop Jesus being exalted in you, if you choose. So think about it. 